We all left our countries because of wars, persecutions, and, and poverty, and terrorism, but now we have ended up in a camp like Moria. And it, it, conditions are extremely inhumane here. I am extremely concerned about coronavirus. That's the voice of an Afghan refugee living in the Greek camp of Moria. Refugees are already a traumatized population. Now, they face a new, harsh reality. Coronavirus. The displaced are no less isolated from the COVID-19 illness. The virus has already spread across continents. So experts say it's just a matter of time before it reaches the camps. But the question is, are the camps prepared for this pandemic? What we've seen so far is a dramatic spread of the virus to some of the most well-prepared societies on Earth. Imagine then what it would cause in densely crowded refugee camps, places where there is little or no water, no washing facilities, little hygiene and no health care. So far, there are no known cases of COVID-19 in refugee camps, but fear is growing. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Many camps have no water for people to wash their hands, and the very small areas where many refugees are concentrated make it impossible to adhere to social distancing recommendations. Recommendations that could help prevent the spread of the virus. These conditions make the possibility of an outbreak inevitable. Al Jazeera senior correspondent Mohammed Jamjum is closely following news from the camps and the people who are working to try to protect the most vulnerable. Can I ask how this story came to be? Tell us about the genesis for your reporting here. I had been in Italy a few weeks back, end of February, uh, reporting on the coronavirus outbreak there. And the whole time I was there, I was thinking about uh, how COVID-19, what kind of toll it might take on refugees. Because I've, I've been to so many camps around the world, and I, I stay in touch with so many of the refugees that I've interviewed in the past. Um, I knew that they must be worried. And I, I just wasn't seeing a lot about it yet. Uh, so I, I was I was really trying to see if we could figure out a way uh, to report on this. So... You've been to many camps throughout your career. Help us paint a picture for someone who has never been or even seen images of one. What does your average refugee camp look like? I'm thinking Moria in Greece or Cox's Bazaar in Bangladesh. You know, Malika, I don't think people who, who have not been able to visit a refugee camp really understand how horrific the conditions can be. So let's take Cox's Bazaar, Bangladesh, as an example. This is the largest refugee settlement in the world. You have close to a million Rohingya refugees who are in that camp. The first time I visited that encampment was in October of 2017, a few months after the severe persecution by Myanmar's army against the Rohingya. And when I got there, you had areas that just a few weeks earlier had not been populated that now would have 20,000 people in them. The sanitation situation was horrible. You didn't have toilets. 
you did not have nearly enough water, and everybody knew that that situation was going to get a lot worse. The coronavirus has the potential to complicate things for a large number of people, and especially when it comes to those who are displaced and who are living in these refugee camps. You spoke to several experts on what life might be like if coronavirus hits. What did they tell you? So earlier this month, Malika, the Norwegian Refugee Council Secretary General, whose name is Jan Eglund, he issued a statement in which he warned that coronavirus will decimate refugee communities if the world doesn't act now. And I spoke to Jan Eglund, um, and he said to me, Imagine in Europe at the Moria camp in Greece that this spreads among people who are living densely, uh, forced to be densely living in a small camp with few latrines, little hygiene. If the advice in a place like Norway or the United States or Germany or Italy that are highly developed is no social contact and wash your hands every hour, how can, how bad will it be in places where they have no washing facilities and where they live in camps that are so crowded that they cannot uh, be uh, distancing Uh, themselves from others. I had reached out to Doctors Without Borders because they also put out, they also sounded the alarm. And they had said that the, uh, they had talked specifically about camps in Greece. I spoke to um, a representative of theirs named Apostolos Vizis, who's in Greece. To give you an example, we have one water point for 1,300 people in Moria. We have one toilet for 200 people. And if we ask people today to call the doctor, If they have a problem, there is no doctor to call. So the environment, an environment that for the last four years is being uh, created by European Union and the Greek authorities, the abandonment of these people expose them on a daily basis to risks for their health. And this environment is the best place for the spread of coronavirus. The refugee that you heard at the beginning of this episode is in Greece, at the Moria camp, which is often called the worst camp in the world. He told us that he didn't want us to identify him out of fear, but he gave us more details about how he thinks the virus could spread easier and faster in Moria than anywhere else. I know that if it makes it to Moria, it will be a huge disaster. Because, you know, in Moria, right now we have about, let's say, 20,000 refugees. So it's already overcrowded. It's not only me who is concerned. All other refugees are concerned as well. Living conditions in Moria refugee camp are very bad. Are extremely unsafe and are and, and extremely unhealthy. You know, toilets are dirty, showers are dirty. You know, if you want to get your food, you have to, to wait in these long and overcrowded food lines. If you want to take a shower, you have to wait in these long, overcrowded shower lines. 
and it's there's almost there's a line for almost everything in, in Moria. I know that they've been saying that we should distance ourselves from other people in order to remain safe. You know, in, in, in Moria, refugees have been living either in, in, in these tents or uh, in connexes. But, you know, both of them are overcrowded and they have to live together. I would say it's impossible to distance yourself in Moria. There are some programs that have been put in place to help the refugees. Uh, the biggest of the plans is raising awareness as part of the prevention plan. Um, you know, I can see posters, of, you know, almost everywhere talking about the spread of coronavirus and how we can prevent it, you know. They've been trying to do this, but I don't think it's enough. I believe that they need to do more. We need resources, such as hand sanitizers and, 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 and back, antibacterial soaps and, and other, you know, cleaning uh, equipments. I'm extremely concerned because if, if coronavirus makes it to, to, to uh, Moria, we will definitely, we, I'm 100% sure that we will hear about uh, a large number of uh, human lives lost. And that's just the voice of one refugee from Greece. But 1,500 kilometers away, Mohammed Jamjoum heard a similar story from a camp in Syria. So we reached out to medics in northern Syria, and specifically one um, area where they were where they were really trying to educate the population of displaced and, and refugees about the threat from coronavirus. And, and there was one doctor in particular named Ali Ghazal. We have very little equipment and supplies, not just right here, but in all of northern Syria. And that's really what we continue to hear from, from people in that area. We spoke to a, a, a man who's been displaced by conflict named Mustafa al-Imam. He's Syrian. And he said that they basically have no supplies or materials that would prevent the spread of coronavirus. The biggest fear is if this virus reaches the camps, because that would become a large humanitarian disaster. And that's because of the bad health conditions and the lack of preventive medical supplies. For example, we have a lack of water to drink in the camps. So how can we wash our hands five times a day? So we've heard the calls for alarm and the worries and concerns for people who are living this. What are people doing to prepare? Is there anything they can do with circumstances like this? Well, they're doing whatever they can. And, and I have to say, I mean, I've been contacted by a lot of, uh, a lot of refugees who I know uh, the past couple of weeks. And they are, you know, as, as difficult as the situation is for them, they are, they are trying to educate their communities. So in, in Cox's Bazaar, there are several youth activists that I've been in touch with who are, who are um, 
putting together meetings and sessions and showing people the correct way to wash their hands and, and trying to teach um, Rohingya children about how to prevent the spread of the virus. I've also been speaking to um, a friend and a, 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 a writer and, and poet, a Rohingya refugee named Yasina Pamona. Um, and he's been saying, uh, he's been making videos uh, as well in the camps to try to teach kids how to prevent the spread of the virus and how to wash their hands. I've seen one of those. They're fantastic. So describe it for us. So essentially he has uh, recruited uh, some kids there uh, from families that he knows to act out scenarios in these videos um, where it shows the right behavior and the wrong behavior when it comes to spreading germs. So it shows children showing other children how to, you know, sneeze uh, into their elbow in case they have to sneeze and to how to self-distance and what, you know, how far apart they need to stand. And, then, you know, these are just incredible things to see from a population that suffered so much and has suffered so many atrocities. And, and the fact that you know, they are this resilient, I mean, they, they're scared, they're terrified. But at the same time, they're, they realize that they have to try to spread the message any way they can. And so uh, that's, a, that's a really humbling thing to see. So I imagine that the alternatives probably differ from camp to camp and settlement to settlement. But what are humanitarian organizations saying could be solutions that they want to see put in place to protect people? Well, first and foremost, um, they are launching campaigns to try to get support from the international community. They want the international community to step up and support their work. So you have UNHCR that's launched a, a, a drive to raise, I believe, $33 million. I mean, that's what they need to get prepared just now. Um, and you have other aid groups as well that are launching appeals. Um, it, it's going to be very difficult um, because... You know, right now, aid agencies as well, everybody's facing restrictions and movement when it comes to COVID-19. And so trying to figure out how they are going to respond um, and how they are going to attempt to isolate refugees in densely populated areas if they are affected by coronavirus. You know, Doctors Without Borders had appealed to the Greek government to evacuate Moria and other hotspot camps to go ahead and do that now because they're so concerned about what would happen. And um, where would people go? Evacuate to where? That's exactly the question that we're all trying to find out. Uh, and, and Doctors Without Borders has not suggested a place, but they've said that the Greek government really needs to consider how bad things are and that they need to evacuate the refugees so that they are safer. But this goes to show, uh, again, how sensitive the situation is uh, and how difficult it is. And, and, you know, they want governments to afford refugees and migrants a little bit of dignity and treat these people like human beings and give them the protections that we all deserve. I think the suffering of the people shows once more that people cannot be treated as numbers, shows once more that these policies are making people sick. These policies are putting people at risk. And today, coronavirus, it shows once more that we need to look at people differently 
to offer them access to healthcare and offer them access to dignity. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Nay Alvarez and Priyanka Tilve, with Dina Kispe, Alexandra Locke, Amy Walters, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan was the sound designer. Natalia Aldana is our engagement producer. Stacey Samuel is The Take's executive producer. And Graylin Brashear is Al Jazeera's head of audio. Special thanks to Yasin Abdumwanab, Aliena Haig, and Antonis Rapanis. If you haven't subscribed to the show yet, go to this episode's description. You'll find extra info about this topic, but also our social media handles. And for more, just go to aljazeera.com slash the take.